thank you so much for listening. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to email us at pa2cpodcast1 at gmail.com. Welcome. This is Mark Waterfield, President and Owner of Public Agency Training Council. Thank you so much for attending our PATC podcast. We really appreciate you listening in. We have a wonderful guest today, Glenn Farrell. Glenn, would you like to introduce yourself? My name is Glenn Farrell, and I live in Lakeland, Florida, right in between Tampa and Orlando. I've been down here for 37 years, I guess it is. I'm not sure how long it takes to be a native to Florida by default, but I might have passed that. I'm not sure. Started at the sheriff's office in Polk County in law enforcement, uh, Sheriff Grady Judd. I've worked for him since he became sheriff long ago. And, and I started there in the fall of 91. I worked 30 years full time at the sheriff's office there. And I'm still auxiliary there. And I also do some contract investigations for local municipalities in the area. Aside from that, Back about 20 years ago now, or actually this is our 20th anniversary year, the Florida Internal Affairs Investigators Association was formed. Actually, somebody you're familiar with, Rick Lober, was instrumental in that as well. So I've been a part of that organization all along as well. Over the state of Florida, a lot of people that are part of that organization are from different agencies all over the state. So that's pretty much it in a little bit of a nutshell. What do you teach for PATC? Internal affairs issues, uh, one of the classes I teach is legal issues and internal affairs, um, advanced internal affairs, and we, we center a lot on legal issues. Also, um, I teach that certification course from time to time and uh, basic internal affairs, everything to do with internal affairs. And what are the subjects that you teach about? To some extent, that can vary depending on the class, but primarily we talk about Social media investigations, which you know is a big thing and it's always changing. We talk about harassment, hostile workplace and harassment investigations. It's a really um, sort of a hotbed in just about any organization. We talk a little bit about developing a trustworthy administrative investigations unit. We, ha- we have a section on that. Talk about de-escalation. We- we've got a several topics that we cover and um, body cams and, and you know, that's an ever-changing landscape in law enforcement now. That has really become, in the last few years, a, a big issue for law enforcement. And we talk about the, the case law that surrounds a lot of these things and practical application of those things. Who are typical attendees? Well, we have, you know, I, every class I ask, um, and my hope is that people aren't just assigned to internal affairs without wanting to work in that unit. And we can talk more about that later if you'd like. But I always have people raise their hands and and find out how long they've been in the unit and if they sought to get in that unit or if they were just assigned there. And we will have people, uh, it's funny, the last class that we did in Las Vegas just recently, we had a lady that had one day in internal affairs before she showed up. And then we'll have people that are administrators chiefs and that sort of thing and agencies that have been doing this thing for, you know, 20 and 30 years. So it's a wide variety and every class is a little bit different. We try to tailor that class to the specific needs of the group at that particular class. I would assume with the turnover in law enforcement, you would get some new people often in your class. Yeah, I would say probably the majority of people in the class have been in some sort of administrative investigative unit for anywhere from two to five or six years. 
that's sort of the average. Generally speaking, people are moving through the administrative investigations or the internal affairs unit, and that's always changing, probably due to people coming and going in the profession, but also it tends to be a place where people are asked to serve if they're being groomed for leadership in an agency a lot of times. Are there some egregious examples that you use? I try to, um, gosh, in, in 30 years, I've got so many different kinds of situations that have come up. And I try to bring the class into these discussions, too, because it really is true that the more the class is involved and adds to the discussion, the better learning environment it is. Yeah, a lot of times I'll bring up real life practical examples of things that I've encountered and I ask other people to bring those up too. And, you know, people are people no matter what. And to some extent, you know, you run into the same types of issues with different nuances, whether it's, you know, people kind of joke around saying sex, drugs and rock and roll. But, you know, so many times law enforcement isn't exempt from um, some of those same issues that you're going to have anywhere else. So, yeah, I've got plenty of examples that come up and, and we talk about whether it's, you know, people stealing or cheating on their spouses on duty. You know, there's a lot of things that I, I'm sure people listening to this podcast, if they are part of a different organization, they could probably say, oh, I've got an example of that. And we always try to bring those up during, during discussion. What are the legal parameters? We talk a lot about case law and how that impacts the nuts and bolts of what we do and what happened to develop that case law. I'm of the strong opinion that a holistic kind of learning where you know why do we do the things we do, what happened to create an issue that had to be resolved in court that created case law that now we all follow in our jobs. If we can understand that, it not only contributes to a better learning environment, but it also helps a lot in the practical application of those in our day-to-day -day jobs. So we, we cover a lot of case law on all of these issues. I try to not bore people with case law, but kind of bring up the how and why do we do things and relate it back to that. Are there constitutional parameters that officers have to keep in mind? Yes, yeah, sir. For example, one of the things that we cover pretty well is Garrity protected statements. And what that is, if the government, i.e. a law enforcement agency, is compelling you to give a statement and saying, you have to talk to us or you're going to be fired. You can't be insubordinate and say, I'm not talking to you. You're compelling a statement. But by doing that, you're negating their Fifth Amendment right to self-incrimination. So if there are any criminal implications, you know, we have to go over what does the Fifth Amendment and the 14th Amendment mean? And how does that play into when you're doing investigations, ultimately guarantee protected statements from those same subjects? So, yeah, there are constitutional issues. Search and seizure issues come up sometimes. The First Amendment rights to speech, people like to think that they can say anything. They have a First Amendment right to free speech, whether it's on social media or elsewhere. But as government employees, we do not have the same freedoms that somebody that works in a grocery store might have. And so we cover some of those things and, and how that affects us in our job. 
I've got an exciting announcement about an upcoming conference that we have in Gatlinburg, Tennessee, right there by the Smoky Mountains. And we have a wonderful facility at the Gatlinburg Conference Center. Uh, we have wonderful classes, the Detective and New Criminal Investigator, Internal Affairs Conference and Certification, Hostage Negotiation, Linkage Investigation, Cyber Currency, Dark Web, and Social Media, as well as Search Warrant Major Case Investigation. Gatlinburg is always a wonderful conference and a whole lot of fun. Please mark your calendar September 11th and go through September 15th. Make your reservations and want to make you aware of two wonderful weeks that we will be having in Las Vegas. In the week of November 6th, we will have several classes at the Palace Station. Then during the week of December 11th, we will have another round of classes at Treasure Island Resort on the Strip. So check out our website at patc.com. I'm sure that you'll find a class that you'll truly enjoy and we look forward to seeing you in Las Vegas this winter. Are employment law concerns discussed in your classes? Employment law is probably more of a human resources issue than it is an investigations issue. However, we do kind of touch on some of those things. What goes in your HR file, what can be released, what can't be released. And those things can be different depending on the state that you're in. So before each class, I'll generally try to get a roster of the people that are attending and make sure that I'm well-versed in those particular state laws that might affect those sorts of things as well, whether it's public record or employment law and that sort of thing. And then, of course, again, like I said, way more comfortable and prefer a discussion format in class. And so I'm always asking people to contribute and talk about their own state laws and, and how those laws affect what they do. So we end up in, in real, having some really good discussions. You mentioned body cameras. What is the current thinking among most departments with respect to body cameras? Yeah, that's really interesting. You know, the first study that was done on the effects of body cameras was in Rialto, California. It showed a drastic, really dramatic impact on the number of uses of force by the officers and the number of complaints against the officers. There were follow-up studies the next year in Phoenix, and there were a couple of others right at the beginning. And then, you know, people started questioning because some of those studies were, were funded by Taser International and some of the people that were actually making the equipment. So some people started asking, well, you know, can we really trust those results? So then we had some universities that did some studies. And anyway, this thing has developed. And as you know, in 2020, because of a lot of different issues, there was a stronger call for body cams. So it really picked up the tempo with regard to agencies wanting body cams. Well, what we've found more recently, still everybody likes body cams. It's very rare that you find somebody that says, you know, we don't want body cams because of whatever, uh, some sort of opinion about whether you should or shouldn't have body cams. But what we are finding is that a lot of agencies even though there are state mandates in, in several states saying every agency has to have them, a lot of agencies are not complying with that because while grants cover the purchase cost of a lot of that equipment, the maintenance of a body cam program is far more expensive. And some agencies just can't afford. By the time you talk about preparing for court and redacting and storage costs and having somebody that does all of that, the maintenance of a body cam program is very expensive. Now, there are those agencies that decide that they don't want to have them. For example, there was one in Illinois not too long ago that rejected a body cam program. And the reasons that they cited 
along with cost. One of them was interesting that they felt that the government would use the footage in order to locate and take legal action against illegal immigrants in the state. And they didn't want the cameras to be used for that. So they rejected the body cam program. There are other concerns, privacy concerns that a lot of people have. Body cams are a complicated issue, but I would say that by and large, the the general public and law enforcement embrace the idea of body cams. It's just a little bit complicated with regard to privacy and cost, and some agencies are not embracing it for those reasons. Do you allow officers to see the body cam footage in an investigation? Yeah, great question. I always ask that question, too, and get people to discuss that a little bit in the class. There are two schools of thought. As a matter of fact, there are a couple of police leadership organizations that have differing opinions on that, and we go over that in the class. One of those organizations says that you should allow full viewing of the body cam footage before the officer writes the report. They should be able to see everything before they ever put a report to record. Another organization says that, no, you should make the person write the report first and then let them view the footage if they want to later. You know, sometimes that gets the hair up on people's neck and that sort of thing. But really, the fact is, with that organization that says, don't let them look at the body cam footage, uh, the reason for that is that Officers are judged on their perception at the time of the incident. If they're sitting in court trying to defend a use of force, maybe they had to shoot someone or something. They're judged on what they reasonably perceived at that moment. And sometimes if you allow somebody to look at the footage prior to writing their report, that will mess up the memory of the event for them. And it'll really cause problems in how they recall and how they'll testify or how they'll write their report because they've seen something on camera now that they didn't perceive at the time of the incident. There are a lot of, again, complicated issues with regard to body cams, and we get a whole lot of spirited discussion in that unit. So what do you like to do when you're not teaching? Oh, my goodness. That's a great question. I, I find a way to fill up every second of my life, it seems like. <laughs> but, um, you know, when, I, when we, we were just doing that class out in, uh, in Las Vegas, I took a day after we were done. And I drove up to Zion National Park in Utah. I got to hike the uh, Angels Landing Trail, which, oh, my goodness, it was breathtaking. I love being outdoors. I love hiking. I actually have, as strange as this might sound, I've always been involved with exotic reptiles. I've got a separate building on my property that um, I breed some endangered and rare exotic reptiles. Just I started out as a kid catching snakes out of a pond. This is a way as an adult that I can do it and not seem too immature. Um, <laughs> we, also, we also have a separate business. When I say about ponds, we build koi ponds and water gardens. Like I said, I'm involved in a lot of different things. We just built a pond, incidentally, for David Batista. He's a guy that uh, has acted in a few movies as a wrestler that's gone into acting, and that was a fun project. But I find ways to stay busy. Thank you so much. You're a great instructor, and we really enjoy our relationship with you. Thank you for appearing on this podcast. Thank you, Mark. I appreciate it. One, two, three.